Well, since my first comment was about the fact that light and specifically the frequent, the wavelength band between 700 and 1200 is 85% of the reason why there's life on earth. You know, the, this, this approach of, have, of using light in a very conscious, strategic way to provide health benefits now can be seen as um, kind of the next, the next wave in the evolution of healthcare and the next way, the, the next level at which people can take charge of their own health and their own well-being. Um, the people who are doing neurohacking and are looking to optimize their health, they're the younger folks more often than not. The older folks are looking at ways to sustain their level of cognitive and physical functioning. And they can use this technology for that purpose. And I think that for those people who see that they're starting to have a problem with memory or cognitive functioning, to actually have a non-drug, non-invasive, safe and affordable way to self-administer their own way of protecting them, protecting their memory and protecting their brain, that becomes a very important and valuable reason to be listening to what we have to say today. Perfect. Perfect. This is the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. The neurohacking show where we teach you how to optimize your cognition. Keep up to date at roscoeswetsuitneuro.com. Now here's your host, Toby Passman. All right. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with us today, we have a special guest, Dr. Marvin Berman. Dr. Berman, if you guys are longtime listeners of the show, you might remember he was all the way back episode 28, just as the show was getting started, he came on. So we're glad to have him back. We're going to speak a lot about photobiomodulation today. To give you guys uh, just a brief background on Dr. Berman, he is a neurotherapist and neuroscience researcher focusing on non-invasive treatment options for neurodegenerative and psychiatric disorders. He's a neuropsychophysiologist and organizational consultant in private practice in Philadelphia and internationally. With over 30 years, uh, 30 plus years of experience treating children, adolescents, and adults with neurotrauma, memory, learning, emotional, and behavior problems using the latest tools and techniques available. And he's presently the co-principal investigator evaluating the clinical efficacy of transcranial near-infrared light stimulation's ability to alter the progression of neurodegenerative, neurodegenerative disorders, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, TBIs, and ADHD. So Dr. Berman, super excited to have you back on the show. Thanks, Toby. It's good to be here. Yeah. So tell me, you know, what was your introduction into 
you know, photobiomodulation kind of where, and actually if, you know what, let's actually just start for, for the listeners who maybe have not watched one of, or listened to one of the episodes that exclusively focused on photobiomodulation. Could you just introduce kind of what it is, what the benefits are and kind of why people should care about it? Okay. Um, to start very generally, um, near infrared light, which is in that spectrum between say 700 and 1200 nanometers on the electromagnetic spectrum is 85% of the reason why there's life on earth. So that gives you some idea of why it's a useful thing to know about. But the near infrared is that band of light of that particular frequency and wavelength that can be absorbed by the mitochondria in our body, the cells that produce the energy that's needed for all the biological activity in our bodies, the mitochondria can absorb the light photon within that range and turn them into ATP or adenosine triphosphate. So that is the key element of how light then affects the body or life functions <clears throat> and how it modulates our ability to function and process the, all the other physiological functions in our body. So that's what photobiomodulation means as a kind of complex term, but it really is the non-invasive, non-drug, side effect free way of influencing our <clears throat> overall body's health and well-being. Got it. Got it. And what was your initial introduction? Like, do you remember where you first heard the term photobiomodulation or I, how you I were do. first introduced? I do. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a story uh, as they usually are. Um, we were doing a clinical trial of brainwave biofeedback, which is what I was currently originally interested in when it came to how could, how could I, as a clinician, influence people's brain activity directly? And I found that the use of biofeedback techniques was very effective in that regard. And since many of my clients, it turned out, had some form of head trauma in their history that I was originally unaware of, then it became important to find a way to deal with that actual brain injury, which is very different than talking to people about, you know, how they felt about their mother or toilet training. So I wanted to find a way and biofeedback was that way. So I started doing biofeedback with people and saw that there was a direct relationship between brain, brain electrical activity, EEG, and the ability to modify that pattern of activity. And so using biofeedback, and that became a very important and uh, direct way for me to influence the kind of treatment that I was doing with people 
in terms of the relationship between their mind and their body. Well, at some point we started doing a training, uh, a study, and it was about people with dementia. And the study involved doing neurofeedback with people. But one of the husbands of one of the people that we were working with one day sent me an email and the subject line of the email was, what the hell is this? So I took a look and this is the, the guy was a, a very hardcore scientist in the agricultural uh, technology world. So I expected to see some sort of research paper. I open it up and it's a headline from an article in the Daily Mail in England, which is the equivalent of the National Enquirer, not exactly a peer reviewed publication. And it said, UK researchers reverse dementia using infrared light. And there's a picture of three guys, you know, in lab coats holding this thing that looked like a pith helmet with fans on it. And I was like, oh God, the guy's really desperate to do something for his wife. And so I read the article and then realized that it wasn't an article written by the people at the Daily Mail. It was an article about a paper that was published in the British Journal of Neuroscience and that these guys were actually serious. They had done an experiment using a specific wavelength of infrared light on animals and they showed that the memory functioning of these animals that were specially bred to develop dementia quickly, that the ones that they treated with the real 1070 nanometer light, those animals significantly improved in their memory functioning compared to the other group that didn't get the real light. So I then read all the references and realized that this was a serious intervention. And I called the guy back and said, do you want me to go to England and try and get one of those weird looking helmets for your wife? And he said, well, see if they'll come here. Okay. So I called the researcher up and said, hi, you don't know me, but what would it take for you to bring one of your helmets over to Pennsylvania? And six weeks later, he was here with one of the helmets and we started doing a study. And uh, we were treating the person twice a day for six minutes as he directed. And about three weeks into the process, my research assistant came back from the morning treatment that she was doing in tears. And I was like, what's the matter? And she's like, oh my God, Mrs. Hodge, she was so upset. And they got into such a fight. I'm like, fight? Oh yeah, she was yelling and upset. And I, I said, what, did you, what, what happened? She said, oh, she was yelling about how did, you know, where did he decide to go visit their son and not consult her about when they were going to go? I said, wait, did she say all of that in one sentence? Because this is a woman with primary progressive aphasia. She hadn't spoken much at all for the last couple of years. And she was like, yeah, no, it was really terrible. She was so upset. And all of a sudden the phone rings and it's the husband. And he's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. She was so pissed. We've, we, we had such a fight. I can't, I can't imagine. I've got my wife back. And he hangs up. And I'm just sitting there holding the phone like, what the heck just happened? And that's when it became clear that you know, the light was stimulating a change in this woman's brain of such 
significance that she was now regaining her ability to speak and process information. So that was the first in that was the first inkling that this was a rather significant intervention and that we had to look at how we were going to combine it with the brainwave biofeedback. And what do you remember about what year this was? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's certain things that just get ingrained in your mind. You know, it was, um, it was in early March in 20, um, 28, 2008. Okay. So, I mean, that's still like relative, you know, photobiomodulation, then it's still relatively new. I mean, very new as far as like when we compare it to other neuro oh. interventions, such as like neurofeedback or even. Yeah even neurostimulation, right? Yeah. Um, the idea, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, kind of like what I was saying at the beginning, you know, if you're just talking about sunlight and you're then looking at something like heliotherapy, that was being prescribed by uh, the Greek physicians back in early Greece. So we're talking a couple of thousand years ago. The the idea of now targeting specific frequencies of light, that's been around for quite a while, but now infrared, transcranial, uh, something like with lasers or now with LEDs, that's only been since the 1960s. A guy named Andre Mester was using lasers thinking that he was gonna be able to um, treat cancer. Um, and what he found was that when he shined the light on these um, lesions, what happened was the lesions didn't really heal that quickly, but the hair around the lesions started growing twice as fast as any other hair on the body. So he started realizing that this was a way to do hair growth and that, that got a lot of popularity. Uh, but then more and more people started using lasers and then found that LEDs could perform as well and in some cases even better and much more safely. So there's been a, a movement toward including LED type stimulation more than uh, lasers for you know, topical applications. Okay. And tell me about like, why specifically does photobiomodulation have such a remarkable impact on some of these neurodegenerative conditions that seem like pretty, pretty difficult to treat with, with other options that have been pretty, yeah. pretty, uh, I mean, the, the drugs, especially for like Alzheimer's, I mean, seem yeah. to be pretty weak as far as their efficacy. Well, I think that one of the, one of the main points here is that neurodegenerative disorders are systemic diseases. They're systemic conditions, which means they have multiple sources and causes and interrelationships. So you've got a systemic disorder that then is gonna need a more systemic type of uh, treatment. And looking for a single molecule like we have been um, is, a pretty limited strategy, though it, it works for pharmaceutical companies and for people who want to make money selling pharmaceuticals. I, I understand going that way. And the fact that we tried to do it makes sense in that way. But again, it's, um, 
you know, neurodegeneration is not like a broken bone or, or a um, staph infection. You know, it's, it's not something that you can just hit with an antibiotic and that's the end of it. So photobiomodulation is a far more systemic type of intervention. And so it has effects on many, many different levels at the same time. But most significantly would be the two main driving uh, forces or components of any neurodegenerative condition have to do with the lack of blood flow and inflammation. And that the lack of blood flow then is going to have a lot to do with the lack of oxygen getting to the tissue and keeping helping keep it healthy and stay alive. So photobiomodulation as a single intervention can achieve both of those results at the same time. So the light being absorbed by the mitochondria increases the production of energy in the body, but it also influences the, what that's called the endothelial tissue, which is the tissue inside the blood vessels and makes it function more elastically. So you can get more expansion of the small capillaries in the brain and therefore the blood can get through more efficiently and more blood, more oxygen, more oxygen, better function, and also keeping the tissue alive. So you're, uh, you're eliminating the lack of perfusion or blood flow, and therefore you're also reducing the likelihood of presence of inflammation. Got it. And yeah, the, the hypoperfusion or, or lack of blood flow to the brain seems to be you know, one of the biggest problems, I mean, whether we're talking about a neurodegenerative condition or a TBI, or even from what I've seen, uh, you know, depressive disorders or anxiety uh, disorders, you know, you commonly see in the research that, that it involves uh, kind of this hypoperfusion. So a treatment such as photobiomodulation that can kind of restore blood flow to the brain seems like that. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a super powerful mechanism. It has been, and certainly the uh, people in cardiology have been paying attention to this for quite some time because they've been recommending after research that they did on stroke to show that the sooner people can get photobiomodulation administered um, when they've had a stroke, the better the recovery. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that is another thing that, I mean, it seems like, you know, what's good for the heart is generally good for the brain and, and vice versa. So that makes a lot of sense. Yep. They do seem to have something to do with each other, huh? <laughs> a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. We're also seeing that with the gut, by the way, Toby, that yeah. the, the gut heart brain uh, connection is very much uh, driven by the uh, activity of the photons and, and light energy can influence both the microbiome in the gut, as well as the cardiovascular function, the heart rate uh, variability, and also then in the brain in terms of decreasing hypoperfusion and, and inflammation. So in order to get those benefits, say to the heart or to the gut, would you need to shine the photobiomodulation light uh, directly at those various sites or does I, I, stimulating like say with, with your helmet, does that have some kind of far reaching effects? Well, in the sense that 
every everything is being driven by the activity of the central nervous system in the brain yes the stimulating the brain and making the brain function more efficiently is going to have a very potent downstream effect to all the other organs and physical systems in the body for sure um, that does not mean that it wouldn't also be beneficial to directly stimulate the tissue itself and those areas of the body itself. Um, and there are a number of different technologies out there to do that. And Quiet Mind has been using some of them for quite a while. And we intend to incorporate some of the ways of doing photobiomodulation to the gut, as well as the um, heart and the chest um, in our thinking about and publishing on the use of 1070 nanometer light in the treatment of post-COVID neurological symptoms. Wow, okay. So there's already been some research or, or yeah. people telling you some stuff about that? Yeah, no, no, we're gonna be publishing a paper um, on the pharmacology of 1070 nanometer light in a kind of a narrative review about the different ways in which 1070 can be effective, both in terms of decreasing the infectivity as well as the virulence and the post-infection neurological um, symptoms. Wow, that's super fascinating. Well, Dr. Berman, uh, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to, to ask you, you know, when it comes to say integrating photobiomodulation with other forms of neurotherapy, you know, specifically, I know we've had conversations in the past specifically about, about neurofeedback and how you, you like to do photobiomodulation before neurofeedback sessions to kind of mm -hmm. energize the cells. Can you talk a little about, you know, the, the theory or reasoning behind that and, and what you've seen just in terms of people's progress or the efficacy of neurofeedback sessions when you pair it with photobiomodulation? Well, sure. The, we've, we've been working at it for several years now, and I, a number of colleagues who work now combining neurofeedback with uh, photobiomodulation have been seeing considerable improvement and, and, and a rate of improvement and the kind of lastingness of the improvements when combining the the two approaches and it kind of makes sense because in a in a very general sense the idea that you're taking care of the plumbing issues the blood flow and you're also taking care of the connectivity issues that may have gotten disturbed or disrupted by the lack of blood flow or the inflammation so when you can combine those two then you've got a more efficient health promoting system and a more efficient self-regulating central nervous system so that your body can then uh, attend to and deal with any kind of changes that are going to destabilize the system and put you into a state of ill health. And so that when we use the photobiomodulation, say, as a warm-up is the way you might use um you know when i go to the gym and i run on the treadmill for a while to kind of get warmed up 
and get my blood flowing and get my heart rate up. You can do the same sort of thing with the infrared photobiomodulation and then sit down and start doing an, a regular neurofeedback training session. That, that's one way to do it. And we've seen that that's improved people's rate of improvement as well as the broader improvement in their overall health. Um, so you've got the biological level as well as the, neuro, the neurological level being addressed simultaneously. And that has its own synergy value. What I am hoping we will see in the next year or two is a, an integration of the two approaches so that when someone puts the helmet on, the EEG recording capability will be built into the helmet and they will automatically start recording 19 channels of EEG and that at the same time, we'll have a little ear clip that will allow for the simultaneous recording of heart rate variability. That will give us two data streams in real time that we can then use to drive the activity of the lights inside the helmet. And we can therefore provide very targeted stimulation that will move the brain activity and the cardiovascular activity more toward normal. And that'll, that'll all be automated. So we'll be able to you know, provide this to someone in their home and all they're going to do is put it on, turn it on and push a button. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. So we're, we're getting there. We've got, we've got all the pieces, uh, we've got all the pieces laid out individually and we're working now on the strategy for integration. And there are other people working on similar strategies as well. Um, but they're more proprietary algorithms and um, they're more toward the idea of going to a clinician for this sort of treatment. And that's, um, that's not going to work for the, the population of people who really need this, which at the moment is about 150 million people worldwide who need this treatment yesterday. And that number is going to double, if not triple, by 2050. Right. Now, how about other neuromodulation modalities? Does photobiomodulation uh, have any synergistic effects with, say, using PEMF or different forms of transcranial stimulation or audiovisual entrainment? Um, I don't see how they wouldn't. And there are neuromodulation therapy models that really work to approach integrating neurofeedback with PEMF and TDCS and, um, and now even with infrared light. One of them is called Neurofield. And we've been working with Neurofield for quite a number of years and think that it's a very useful system. Um, we're adding the transcranial 1070 tape capability because we're now, you know, it's now being shown that there, this optical window of 1070 nanometers is of particular biological value in a number of different ways, 
not the least of which is that it influences the intracellular amyloid as well as the extracellular amyloid. And that by way of influencing, I mean reducing. And so the issue of amyloid production in the brain and it causing disturbances in the connection between the different neurons and the different networks, you're now able to use the 1070 as a way to decrease the overall amyloid load, both in the cells and out of the cells. And that's gonna be very important going forward. But this idea of integrating the different types of neurostimulation is, its time has really come. And I think we now see that targeted ultrasound is a way to get um, influence into deeper structures in the brain without causing any kind of disturbance to the cells uh, themselves. And that we can use PEMF and TDCS in those ways to get broader, maybe less targetable uh, interventions and changes, but can modify the functioning of the whole brain and the whole body by using those kind of techniques in conjunction with neurofeedback and heart rate variability, which to me give you the best of neurological and cardiovascular guidance and feedback because heart rate variability is probably the best predictor of overall cardiovascular health. And the QEEG is also then the best way to get both temporal and spatial information about what's going on in the brain in real time. Awesome. Now I want to talk about, so in addition to like the, the wavelength of light, like the 1070 nanometer, right. uh, I know, you know, in terms of the frequency of light that you're actually kind of pulsing the, uh, the simulation, the photobiomodulation at has a lot of impact. Yeah. And that's, that's something that differentiates your helmet, which is completely programmable in terms of frequencies versus some other companies where it's a fixed, you know, what I've seen, you know, 10, 10 Hertz or 40 Hertz. So I wanted to hear kind of why or, or kind of how, how the frequency of light uh, how that impacts just the overall effects of the photobiomodulation and then kind of the reasoning for, for doing this completely programmable helmet. Yeah, Toby, it's, a, it's an important distinction. And, and we, I started out with the Cognitolite, which was a fixed pulse rate. And um, then when we did the clinical trials and saw that it was beneficial um, I also saw that there were very significant changes in the EEG of the people who had participated in the trial. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, what, what if we were to be able to pulse the light at the frequencies that we saw in our diagnostics were already deficient? What if we could entrain the brain to start producing those particular frequencies that it was already having trouble producing in the first place. And so we then showed using the V-Light um, that you could pulse a couple of diodes on your scalp at 10 Hertz, and you would then see an almost immediate 
propagation of 10 hertz activity across the whole brain. So just pulsing the light on your scalp was enough to change your brain activity. <coughs> so that led me to the idea that what we really want to be able to do, and that's why I described the kind of where we want to end up uh, before about having the ability to entrain the EEG at the same time as we're helping with heart rate variability, because we can see that changing brain electrical activity is really the name of the game, because that's, the, that's gonna be the, the activity that connects, helps to reconnect and renormalize the network activity in the brain. And that's what's getting disrupted by the neurodegenerative process. It's the connectivity, the wiring. And so if you know that you can pulse light on the scalp at different points, and you can then entrain activity in particular ways, then using the diagnostics that are inherent in the, in the, the software and the analysis software of the QEEG, we can then target specific pulse rates to specific areas and thereby increase the efficiency of the brain just by using the light. And having the broadest range of frequencies then becomes important so that we can optimize that kind of intervention along with the general health promoting healing capability that is inherent to the light therapy itself. And how much weight do you place like on the importance of, of you know, just the, the light therapy itself, as you mentioned, versus, you know, when we get into the specific frequency effects, like how much does each matter in your opinion? Um, I think that promoting overall health in the system is what we see in the treatment that we did say in the study that we just completed with 100 subjects in Texas and in Philadelphia, we saw that there was an overall improvement in people's health, but that their um, cognitive functioning only improved in certain ways and kind of gross ways, but that the, the measurement of the EEG connectivity, the networks themselves, the long distance and the short distance networks, their normalization didn't, didn't reach the same levels of significance as the actual power amplitude changes that happened as a result of increasing the blood flow and decreasing the inflammation. It's, it's again, back to that idea that the plumber can fix the plumbing, but if you really need to change and fix the wiring, then you really need to work with an electrician. And rewiring is really the domain of neurofeedback, whereas changing the blood flow and inflammation, that's really more of the plumbing idea. Yeah. So yeah, if you could tell me about kind of the new helmet that you've designed that enables you to, or enables the practitioner clinician to, to be able to modify, I guess the, it's the frequency, right? Of the light at each of the, at the pulse rate, the pulse rate at each of the four quadrants. Yep. Well, we, um, we started out 
once we finished the study in Texas with the Cognitolite, it became clear that a programmable device was really going to be more beneficial. But the, the number of LEDs in the Cognitolite caused it to generate a fair amount of heat. And that required that you then include fans to exhaust the heat away from the head. So what we did was we decreased the number of LEDs and we found a company that was making a helmet that we could then uh, get them to modify. And so they modified the helmet to include the 1070 nanometer LEDs, but they also had a cable that connected to a touchscreen controller box. And you could then simply tap in the number of pulses that you wanted the light to pulse at. And you, from anywhere from one to 20,000 Hertz, um, I was only interested in kind of one to about 200. But the point was we now had full programmability of the pulse rate but we also had the ability to control the intensity of the light by uh, controlling the percentage of the amount of time that the light was on. So when it was on, we could then control whether it was 25, 50, 75, or 100% of the time the light would be on. So that helped to also reduce the chances of overstimulation, which is one of the things we really do wanna control for so that people get the, the most benefit from the light. Um, so we had that capability, the pulse rate, the, the intensity, and we also had the duration for how long the light, this light session would go on. So we could control again against overstimulation. And this issue of overstimulation, you know, I, I can't, um, I, I can't over, state how important it is to get people to understand that when you're talking about photobiomodulation, you're really talking about um, what I refer to as a Goldilocks principle, where there really is a capability of getting too little, there really is a capability of getting too much, and there really is the just right. And just right is what we're, what we're aiming for when we do the photobiomodulation and the neurofeedback training. But certainly when you're doing stimulation, you want to give the, the brain cells as much stimulation as they can make good use of and no more, and certainly no less. And so you have to work on a, a dosing scheme so that you help people to get the best possible response to using the photobiomodulation. And I think that by targeting the pulse rate, targeting the frequencies that are needed by that person's brain at that particular time to help them build up those areas that are deficient and also to train down those areas that are excessive, you're in a sense accomplishing both the goal of neurofeedback and the goal of photobiomodulation at the same time, but in a, in a less targeted way than you can with photo, with neurofeedback, say for training specific neurophysiological networks. Um, that's why we're working on doing both the neurofeedback 
and the photobiomodulation together. And we're bringing them closer and closer together and integrating them more and more over the next couple of generations of this technology. Yeah, the integration of them definitely makes a lot of sense to me. So in terms of the, the actual penetration of the light um, into the brain when we're talking about photobiomodulation, like, can you talk about kind of how, how deep the light is able to penetrate and which specific areas of the brain are primarily uh, getting targeted when it comes to, say, using your helmet? Our helmet is our helmet is transcranial and it covers um, you can cover pretty much the whole skull um, by sliding the helmet forward and back where you can get a pretty good you can also cover your face with the with the helmet and uh, get a nice experience of stimulating your skin. Um, but for the neurophysiological neurological interventions, you can move the helmet around and the quadrants of the helmet that we've now designed in the new in the new version of this technology you're going to be able to independently stimulate the frontal the occipital and the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere so there's four quadrants that you can independently control to either have them on or off or have them with their own specific pulse rate, their own intensity and their own duration. And you can build protocols using that, those capabilities um, to optimize the kind of treatment that you wanna do with the person based on their quantitative EEG and their other assessment protocols that clinicians do to figure out how they're gonna approach treating the people that they're working with. So where, um, we're seeing the depth of penetration issue as being a function of the wavelength of the light. So the higher the wavelength of the light, the deeper the penetration potential is. So with 1070, you can get a deeper penetration. And according to our colleagues at Durham University, who've done the, a lot of the bench science with us, they're talking about three to five centimeters into the cortex using the current power configuration in the cognito light. And so we're figuring that we can probably get down between one to three centimeters into the cortex um, with the 256 LEDs in the neuradian. Okay. And in terms of like, so the, you know, the, the, seeing the, the effects that the light has on some of the neurodegenerative conditions, it's, what, like, what, what brain areas do you think, or, or how is the photobiomodulation, um, like which brain areas do you think it's targeting the most? Cause it's not, it's not going to be able to reach like the, like the basal ganglia or hippocampus, right? Somewhere well, super in, deep in the brain. It, it, it may not, it may, the light may not get there directly. Um, we're not, we're not entirely sure about that. Uh, I do know that one of the reasons why we've been, uh, we've made available an intranasal applicator was that we would, we can see that there would be value in stimulating the, the free floating mitochondria in the blood. And so if you use an intranasal stimulation technique, you can stimulate the entire body's blood supply about five times in 20 minutes. 
And some of that blood is absolutely going to make it to every structure in the brain. So you've got this, you've got these mitochondria who have been irradiated with this, you know, specific wavelength of light now making it into and interacting with the brain tissue at every structure, every level in the body, as well as the brain. Um, there, the actual value of that is something we're going to be studying over the next period of time. But at this point, one of the things we really want to look at is a comparison between the 810 nanometer light and the 1070, and to really be able to articulate uh, more specifically what the differences are between those two optical windows. Uh, I think that in terms of what brain structures are going to be influenced, I don't know how useful it is to be, to frankly, to think about it that way because we really want to be intervening at a systemic level, right? So we're wanting to intervene at all of the different levels in the brain. And we can do that with the neurofeedback. We can do that with functional medicine and we can do that with a photobiomodulation. Right, right. That makes sense. It's not going to be, yeah, it's not that that's the thing I want to like make clear to everybody is that we don't see photobiomodulation as the one trick pony. Like th this is not, you know, the single, th this is not the analog to, you know, the magic bullet that, you know, farmers been trying to come up with for the last 500 trials that have all failed. We're not going in that direction. You know, this is a systemic disorder. So it requires a systemic intervention. And for us, that, kind of takes a three-legged approach of functional medicine to address the underlying causal factors for what, what has caused this degeneration. Is it something uh, of a toxicity? Is it some kind of inflammatory process? Is it an infection? Is it molds? And you know, what, what's causing the, the problem in the first place? Then use the photobiomodulation to build the brain and the body's capacity to be able to change and heal and protect against further injury, and then use the neurofeedback to renormalize the connectivity that's been disrupted by the physiological degenerative process that was going on, causing the problem in the first place. Now, besides the neurodegenerative conditions in which you've seen photobiomodulation to be super helpful for, what are some of the other psychiatric or neurological conditions that, that you've really seen photobiomodulation work well for? Well, I certainly think that the descriptions of neurodevelopmental and neuropsychiatric and neurophysiological are, in a sense, convenient ways to parse things out uh, in order to study them, but you know we are talking about something that really can't be separated in that way. In reality, neuropsychiatric conditions are things that are describing certain patterns of behavior, but they have a physiological component to them. They can be caused by an infectious process, um, depression, ADHD, um, schizophrenia. I mean, any of these kinds of psychiatric disorders can be seen as having some kind of an infectious or neuroinflammatory basis or component 
that needs to be addressed at the, you know, in order to get a real resolution of the problem. So with that said, we have certainly seen that people with substance abuse problems, compulsive problems, obsessive compulsive uh, disorders, Tourette syndrome, um, any the range of anxiety disorders have responded extremely well to the photobiomodulation, especially when you can pulse the light in ways that then trigger their brain to produce the kind of frequencies that are needed in order for them to feel more contained and safe and calm and be able to focus their attention in a more efficient way. That said, people with on the autistic spectrum have also been found to improve significantly using photobiomodulation in the same way because they then are not subject to being hyperreactive and easily overstimulated so that they can then be able to make better use of their perceptions and their sensations and what's going on. They can then process what they're responses need to be more efficiently. It really comes back to being able to respond efficiently. That's what we're after, is creating a systemic response that allows for the system to respond with the highest degree of efficiency possible. You see greater amounts of flexibility in that response amongst younger individuals, amongst you know adolescents compared to the neurodegenerative population, just with the neuroplasticity in effect there? Neuroplasticity doesn't seem to have a, uh, an age component to it as much as we used to think. Um, there seems to be plasticity in, uh, in every phase of life. And so, yes, the uh, plasticity may look one way at earlier stages of development where there's supposed to be a pruning function taking place and sometimes what happens is that the pruning doesn't happen as efficiently as it might, and you get a system that's not capable of making uh, sufficient discriminations and limitations of what, kind, of what kind of stimulation makes it up into the cortex from the body, because 80% of what we're processing at any given moment is really internal stimulation, not external. So you know, at any age, you want the system to be able to optimally inhibit the level of stimulation that's making it up into the cortex. And uh, neurofeedback, photobiomodulation, and even pharmacotherapy, all of those things are really designed toward being able to optimize the amount of information that's being inhibited so that we can then accurately and adequately and efficiently respond to whatever's coming in from the outside as well as from the inside. Awesome. Now, Dr. Berman, what, uh, when, you know, when, when you kind of look towards the future of photobiomodulation, what sort of things are you super excited for? I guess, besides, besides the four quadrant helmet that's, that's coming out, um, or that you've released recently, mm -hmm. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be released in February. In February. Got it. Got it. So what else uh, in the field of photobiomodulation or any emerging uh, disorders or diseases that you think it'll be super helpful for going forward? 
Well, if if what we're seeing happening with COVID is uh, true, then light therapy is going to be a very useful component of treatment for the kind of viral infections that we're probably going to be seeing more of rather than less of over the next uh, bunch of years. So that's one part. I think that traumatic brain injury, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, opiate addiction disorder, um, those, those are things that are going to be targets for use of these kind of techniques, especially because of the numbers of people that we're talking about. These kinds of interventions have to be designed in such a way that people can use them themselves at home. It can't be that you're going to a doctor's office to do this kind of treatment on an ongoing basis. That just uh, economically and functionally, it just doesn't make sense. You know, when we're talking about hundreds of millions of people worldwide who are gonna be st struggling with these kind of issues, you, you, you've gotta have an intervention strategy that can scale to that level and also be administered very directly by the people themselves. So that's where we want to be contributing and advancing the field so that other researchers and clinicians and government agencies and policymakers can now start to take these approaches seriously and then build both the research structures that need to be put in place as well as the technology structures to be able to manufacture and distribute and support people using these kind of technologies all over the world. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to, to see, you know, the future of this stuff. And, and just as we get into, into more and more people's hands, just, you know, how, how many people can benefit and get impacted by photobiomodulation should be really awesome to see. Yeah, it is. And I think that getting uh, clinicians involved now who are already doing neurofeedback or neuromodulation, getting neurologists to start paying attention to this kind of technology, uh, neuropsychiatrists, but then also uh, people in the research field to work with us on developing more and better research protocols for being able to discriminate the, the wavelengths that are going to be most effective, the intervention strategies that are going to be most efficient, and, um, and the ways of designing the biomedical engineering that we need to think through how, what's the best way to deliver this kind of technology. Um, that's what, you know, that's what Quiet Mind is gonna be doing for the next while. And we've um, established a company uh, in Ireland and Germany called Neuronic Medical Devices. And they're gonna be the ones responsible for growing the commercialization aspects of this technology. So Quiet Mind can stay focused as it's a, and its original mission of being a nonprofit research and development and consulting organization. So that's um, just in terms of plugging the commercial end of it. Uh, the neuronic.online is the website where people can get more information and order the new four quadrant technology. 
Awesome. And how about if people want to find out more about your research or quiet mind, where would you direct them? Oh to? yeah. We're, we're, we're certainly happy to respond to people's questions and uh, quietmindfdn.org. So it's uh, the word quiet, the word mind, and then F is in Frank, D is in dog, N is in Nancy.org. And you can plug in a question right there on the website and I will get back to you or one of the staff will get back to you as soon as we can. Perfect. Well, Dr. Berman, super uh, thankful for you to have been, you know, on the show with us again today. And, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to just be integrating uh, photobiomodulation into my own company and to see, you know, its effects. So I look forward to continue, uh, continuing discussing it with you. And, and thanks again for coming on the show. Well, you're very welcome. And I think that uh, if we do another, if we do part three in, uh, in a year, we'll have uh, an, another important part of the story to tell. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll definitely plan on that. You just can't help yourself, can you?